passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. It's John Pollock and Waiting, and welcome to this month's Roundtable Show. It's a real pleasure to be joined by this man, the man of a thousand podcasts himself. <laughs> Conrad Thompson is joining us. Uh, Conrad, thank you so much for opening up uh, the Conradison on the road for us. There thank you, you so much. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for inviting me. I, I don't know uh, what to expect here today, but I'm looking forward to having some fun. I think a lot of people are going to be excited about uh, hearing from you and chatting with us as well. Uh, these Roundtable Shows, we've done a couple of them, and with you, we really wanted to talk about just kind of what we've been going through as well as yourself, kind of the experience of launching podcasts and finding success in this space. Because right. I think what we're starting to see is a turning point of those that are not just doing it as a hobby, that are trying to do it professionally. Right. I think a lot, a lot of people have looked at you for guidance and you through trial and error of what you've found uh, works. I guess, how would you assess kind of the landscape right now when it comes to a high volume out there and and looking to monetize as well on top of it. It's a it's a very thin line for some people. It is. I think the monetization is really what's sort of uh, driving some folks away. It became like um, the New West and everybody thought, there's gold in them their heels. You just set up a microphone and ask your old buddies wrestling stories and then they pay you. <laughs> and then that may have been true once upon a time, but... I just think that model's changed now, and it's much more competitive, and that's the reason you see so many people jumping. And one of the reasons I think Bruce and Tony's show have been successful is we've looked sort of to go against the grain and outside of the norm and not just do what everybody else was doing. What do you look to listen to? Like, what what do you get enjoyment out of, like, wrestling (laughs) podcast-wise? I think Jim Cornette is the most hilarious podcaster in the history of the world. He's such a big personality. I think... Cornette would be successful if he had a cable TV show or he had a podcast or what Cornette reading the newspaper is entertaining to me. Um, and, and I think Paul Heyman would be that way too. I think the, the format is perfect for them. So, I mean, I really enjoy Cornette's podcast probably most of all, you know, just when I'm on the road and I like their format that they just sort of bounce around a lot. And I really enjoy JJ Dillon on the other end of the extreme. And on the show, we, we sort of joke that, you know, J.J. Dillon's podcast is like audio NyQuil, but it really is just such soothing audio compared to a Cornette who can really get fired up. So those are my... That's like audio names. cocaine, maybe, is yeah. Cornette. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Great analogy. Is there a particular reason why you think wrestling fans themselves have gravitated so much towards the podcast format rather than, let's say, you know, fans of other types of uh, genres of, of entertainment? I think what's weird about all of us as wrestling fans is we all want to know what we're not supposed to know, Mm -hmm. that other little detail. And I think just the whole business was set up where, you know, kayfabe was a thing. So there's certain things we can share with the audience and certain things we can't. And so now the idea that we maybe get a little bit more access is really, really cool. And so that's one of the things, 
you know, that I think, or one of the reasons I think all the cons have grown up. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to go beyond just buy a t-shirt. Now they want an experience. They want their picture with, they want a moment. They want to be able to tell their friends, oh, I met so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And I think the podcast allows that interaction and a little bit of that insight better than pretty much any other genre because everything else is really just public. You know, you know exactly how many RBIs Derek Jeter had and how many home runs and you know what his contract was. I mean, they just publish all that on ESPN, but you don't really know any of that stuff with wrestling. So we're all sort of fascinated by what are we not supposed to know? Yeah. It seems that you you see that really quick with the personalities that are engaged and that are all in with the endeavor, not just seeing it as a means to a paycheck at the end of it. And to me, like what I've always been asked when you say there's so many wrestling shows out there, what's going to separate yours? To me, it's always going to be personalities that people are attached to. I may hear a sports business story and I want to hear a particular analyst's take. I can get millions of sports shows out there, but I'm going to think of those two or three hosts that I have some kind of interest in of what what is their opinion? What are they stating? And I think those are kind of what you try to establish is just a natural personality and people that are also enjoying doing it, that that comes through for the listeners. Well. Absolutely. And I think it is obvious, you know, once upon a time I had a reluctant podcaster in Ric Flair and you could tell he was all about it at first. And then as time went on, it was less and less and less. And we didn't have to make a formal announcement. They knew, oh, this is winding <laughs> down. That happens. And that to me was a, a perfect example to me of just your ability to have such a great chemistry with these people that I don't think Ric Flair would have let his guard down with most people. I think right. you you were able to bring out that side of Rick because when you hear Ric Flair is doing a podcast, the natural reaction is, what is this going to sound like? <laughs> sure. And sure. quickly you listen. It's like, man, this just opened the floodgates of stories and and Rick completely opened himself up. And there was an example of someone that was all in on this. Absolutely. It felt like with you. Yeah, and, and I think part of that is just because of our relationship sort of, you know, uh, when the mics aren't rolling. And because we were comfortable, he knew he's not going to make me look bad. He's not going to embarrass me. You know, he understands enough about wrestling and, and radio to sort of make this passable. And he thought I would take care of him, and I did, and we had a good time. And I think that's the reason the Bruce Show is so successful, is we were such good buddies in real life. You know, which is why everything you guys do is so successful. This is not a show. You guys are really friends. And that translates. Yeah. What what, what would you say your role is in, you know, the, the whole uh, production side of things, just for people who aren't really aware? Um, I mean, I help pick the topics. So I'm going to sort of navigate what I think the fans want to hear. And that's really my role on all of my podcasts is... I've got, you know, the celebrity who was there, and then I'm sort of the voice of the fan. So I really just double down on that, and I try to think about, hey, what would I want to listen to? Because really, I know I'm on the show, but I'm the first listener. Like, I'm the target demographic. So to me, the barometer is, if it's good to me, it's good to us as wrestling fans. And sometimes the boys don't think about that. They don't know what's good. They think, oh, you just tell them stories, and they pay to hear. Well, no. Some of them are good and some of them aren't. And they're not really qualified to know, as weird as that sounds. But I'm a wrestling fan, so I have a palette for this. So I sort of shape the direction of the show with what the topics are going to be. Then I put together the research and uh, put together a real format. I throw it together on a Google Doc. I share it with my co-host a day or two, sometimes three days ahead of time. They have an opportunity to make their notes. We drop our spots in. Um, you know, I'll, I'll send the PDF so they know exactly what the scripts look like and what we're going to be prom- pushing and what the next promotion is. And then I'll help come up with all the silly T-shirts. You know, most of those silly T-shirt ideas were my silliness. And then I'll just reach out to promoters when we can. 
uh, and try to figure out what we can do for a live show based on WWE events. And then eventually I click record <laughs> and, and edit it together. And uh, I do have a little bit of post-production help who will help put music bads and things like that if my time doesn't allow me to do so. Do you have one of those awful audio nightmare stories of losing a show, of, of not hitting record, of... Yeah, uh, not necessarily that way, but I do have some where the audio was just horrible. And, you know, at the time when we we're doing it, it sounds awesome. It's fine. Mm-hmm. And then we realize later, oh, we missed something or we had a level wrong or what is this and we can't get rid of it. We've had a few of those, but nothing where I thought I was recording and didn't yet. Knock on wood. I'm sure you'll have one of those. Yeah. And, and then, and then it would be this one. No, that one is recording. We can confirm. But then it becomes, it was the best show ever. But that Now it's been lost. Yeah. It's like now it's become, it's so great and it's just awful. And you'll never get it back. No, it's yeah. gone. It's gone to the, the history of time. With, with Bruce, how early into the, the show's incarnation did you find like, we, we've really got something here. This is more than just some novelty of Bruce sharing stories. It's like, this is something that has an audience for it. And th- this is going to work. The Radicals episode. Mm-hmm. The Radicals episode is one when we got done. I said, dude, that's like the perfect movie, what we just did. Mm-hmm. And he said, what do you mean? And Bruce got upset in there talking about the loss of Eddie Guerrero and his friend passing away. And so we had the funny comedy stuff with the Conan story. We had, you know, some anger with the Benoit stuff. Then we had some sadness with Eddie and... It just sort of ran the gauntlet of all the emotions. And I thought when we were done, it was a really, really good show. And I was curious how people were going to respond because it's not your typical wrestling podcast, you know. And so we posted it and it got really good downloads the first day. And then the second day, it was through the roof. And I'll never forget, he and I were in my basement watching Halt and Catch Fire on demand on AMC. And he looks at, he sees the stats on the back end and he says, hey, have you checked the stats today? And I'm like, no. So I log in and we both look at each other and he holds his arm up and all the hair stands up and he's like, holy shit, what did we do? Because the day one stats are always good, as you guys know, when you have a new release. Well, the next day, it was three times what it was the first day. So we knew we had done no promotion or advertising. That was all just word of mouth. And then the next day, it was even bigger. So we were like, holy cow, we really got something. So Friday was a good day. Saturday was bigger. Sunday was bigger. Monday was bigger. And it started to tail off on Tuesday. But Tuesday morning, we were like, uh, this is a thing. We're actually going to be able to do something with this. Mm. That radical story, when you kind of, sometimes I think just as a wrestling audience, we see so many surreal events that they, yeah. we kind of normalize them. Yes, yeah, right. If you were to tell a stranger this radical story of their exodus from WCW, a threat on one of their lives, and then like this covert negotiation that leads to the release of these four t- performers to get into the front row of Raw a week and a half later. It's unbelievable. It is. And kind of a connection to all of this from live audio wrestling to Bruce Pritchard was the story as Jimmy Corderas had told me was that he got a phone call one morning and was woken up by Jeff Merrick, who is the founder of live audio wrestling, who was trying to get in contact with somebody on behalf of Benoit, who was representing these guys, and he got them in touch. Jimmy contacted Bruce. And that wow. was that was kind of how this 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 loose connection was made because 
Jeff was working with Chris because the company was running Chris Benoit's website. Right. Was very good friends with him. And that's, I guess, how it all started was getting Jimmy's first connection was to Bruce. That's awesome. To get them all together. But it's it's an unbelievable story. It like, is. And there's so many of those in wrestling. that I think sometimes we just look back at, yeah, oh, yeah, the Radicals when they, they left WCW for the WWE. Yeah. And when you break it down, it's like, that is insane. Yeah. It, could, it wouldn't happen in any other sport or genre or... I mean, there's no scenario where four guys just jump in the middle of the night like that. It just wouldn't happen. I, I'm I'm very curious uh, uh, with with your show, uh, Connor. First of all, I think you do some incredible research uh, for all uh, you know for for, you. for the Bruce show, and I think that is the difference maker between you know your show and a lot of other shows with a lot of just you know wrestlers talking about stories. Um, but I think what what also stands out is the business you've crafted around your podcast, and I think you know uh, your ads are very entertaining. And your T-shirt system is like uh, probably a huge thing for you. Sure. Uh, can you talk a little bit about you know how you developed that whole side of things? Well, you know, it's it's sort of weird to talk about now in hindsight because so many people think it's just make believe. But we started the podcast to sell mortgages. You know, really? the, the whole idea was to sell mortgages, and wow. the idea is, you know, in my mortgage company, I pay a bunch of money to advertise it on radio and TV, and you know, I'm paying for that audience. So I thought. Well, hey, rather than have a morning DJ on some random rock station sort of lend me his credibility with the audience to talk about my mortgage company, what if we just become the morning DJ, build our own audience, and now instead of paying for that, we'll just have it built in? And so that was the idea of, hey, let's just go do this. And then along the way, I said, man, we ought to try to sell some of your T-shirts. Don't you have a T-shirt store? So I look, and there were all kind of dog shit. And I said, oh, we can do better than this. Mm -hmm. So uh, every time we said something funny on the show, I said, hey, we should make it a shirt. And then one day, it was in my office, and I said, hey, I've got an idea. Just try it on. I know it's crazy. But what if whenever someone purchased a shirt, you called and thanked them? he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you can block your number and just call and thank them. If they don't answer, leave them a voicemail. But then at that point, they're not spending $25 on a T-shirt. They're spending $25 on an experience. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, we can't sell the shirts for $25. Nobody will buy it. I'm like, they're not buying the shirt for $25. They're buying the experience for $25. So take your shirt from $19.99 to $24.99 and then call and thank them. And it sounded like a good idea, and it was. And so we... You know, T-shirt sales were through the roof. And then about a year ago, a promoter reached out and said, hey, you guys should do a live show. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Like a folding table and a couple of microphones or what does that look like? And he's like, no, that's exactly what it is. So we announced at Back Booth in Orlando, we were going to do our first live show and it sold out super fast. And I'm like, I don't know. We have tickets sold to something. We don't know what we're doing. Like, what? what is this? We had never even had a real conversation. It was just, well, let's just see what happens. And then it became like, uh, I think we can do this like every month and take the show on the road and because wrestling fans were so passionate and they want that experience. So one by one, we just kept adding all those layers. And of course, the main thing, it, the main reason it was always there is savewithbruce.com. We made like a little landing page to talk about mortgages and we drive all the traffic there. And that's still the number one revenue driver for the show. Uh, and then once we got, I guess last January and January of 2017, we had 2.1 million downloads, and I thought, this is big enough now for us to actually get some real ad money. Because beforehand, we had been sort of limping along with the standard advertisers. Y'all know who I'm talking about. And I thought, you know, with this amount of downloads, we ought to be able to command a higher price. And so we started to send our stats out, and we got a bite right away. And we got a, we got a contract and a guarantee, and they're selling ads for us, and it's been a great relationship. But mm. it did take... 
you know, we probably did eight months worth of shows and made 1400 bucks, you know, right. from the actual ad revenue side. Mm-hmm. We were doing mortgages, we we're doing t-shirts, uh, but it took a while before there to be real ad money coming in because we had to sort of, you know, in television, you have to show the ratings. And so we had to show the ratings and we were able to do it. And I think one of the things that has helped is we've, we've created, I hate this word, but I, don't, I can't think of a better one that describes it. We've created evergreen content. So in a weird way, you know, we're taping over WrestleMania weekend. If we were talking about WrestleMania, this has a shelf life of like 10 days and then no one cares. Mm -hmm. But oddly, if we talk about Survivor Series 1990, that shit never gets old. Mm -hmm. And so that was sort of my my pitch to Bruce is rather than us compete with a Chris Jericho or a Jim Ross or a Steve Austin who are bigger names and earlier adopters, if they're going to have the same guests and the same topics, let's go to something they're not going to talk about, something way, way old. And people will gravitate to that, even the quote-unquote lapsed fans. And it's worked because now our, our our archives get just as many downloads as our new shows. So this month, if we're going to do 3 million downloads for new shows, the archives are going to do 3 million downloads as well. And so that's revenue that we can continue to build. And so now we're pushing some to YouTube, and we're finding other ways all the, all the time to... Hey, how can we pick up a little more here or there? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the original idea, silly as it is, hey, man, let's sell some mortgages. That's here incredible. For, for, for the two of us, I mean, we, like when we entered this, I mean, we were we were let go by the Fight Network at the end of October. And then it was kind of like a two-month planning phase. of We knew this was what we wanted to do, but also kind of not having any guess as to what the response would be like for Patreon. We set our first goal of 50 people. It's like if we hit 50, cool. And we hit that in 20 minutes. Right. And it was just, that was a big concern of mine was we've been doing all this free content for 10 years. Is anyone going to pay for this now? It's like, we're taking something away. And that was a big balancing act is that we put out free content, but also having bonus content. And what I have learned is that it's not so much the content. It's more people want to see this continue. They're supporting the idea of what we're doing. And the bonus content is that to the people. It's like, it, it just seems like it's, there's a lot of goodwill out there. Absolutely. And that's, I think that's a direct connection people have to the, the people that are producing the show more so than just, you know, ticking off how many shows you're putting out on, right. on a daily basis or something like that. Yeah, I have a feeling like for a, a great chunk of our listeners, even if we didn't have these bonus shows, do, didn't do any bonus shows, I think we would have still received a good number of support supporters. So, yeah, I think it's about crafting that personal relationship. Yep. And I really, the podcast format is really the perfect place to try to, you're spending hours with these people. That's every right. Week. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things I've tried to do is, you know, I really got on Bruce after we'd been doing it for about six months or so. And I said, Bruce, you know, it's called social media. And he's mm-hmm. like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you're supposed to talk to people. Like, not just promote, like, here's the next thing. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to engage and talk. And I've made a conscious effort. I try to acknowledge everybody on Twitter. And that's a damn full-time job sometimes. Yeah. But I know that when I do, they feel like, hey, I know Conrad and Conrad knows me. And mm-hmm. that's what I'm wanting to do is create, like, this culture and this environment where we're all sort of reliving this stuff we grew up on together. And uh, I don't want them to feel like, you know, we're the performers. No, we're all doing this together. We all love this stuff the same way. I think taking that barrier down is, you know, it's essential. Like the listeners feel that, you know, you're just listening to friends, talking That's about it. things. And just it's it's not kind of just a talking down kind of method that, that some have. Some, some shows it does come and across And we know like which that. ones we're talking about. Like, and there's a reason that those shows struggle because why would you, I mean, how much abuse are you going to come back for? 
you know, in the end, people want to be included. You know, they all want to be welcomed. And um, some of those other shows are not going to make it because they don't have that attitude. The landscape's just, like, getting getting so crowded these days in, yeah. in terms of wrestling podcasting. I mean, what do you think it, it takes for a new show now to really kind of stand out? Well, I think there's got to be a new idea. You know, I think if you're just saying, well, we're going to get guests on everywhere, you're, like... <clears throat> the challenge for me when I talked to Bruce about that, because Bruce, when we first were laying the concept out, I said, this is what it should be. It should be, you know, 10 minutes of you talking about what happened last week on the show, just recap, and then let's do a long form on one topic. And then at the very end, we can talk about whatever happened in wrestling that week. And then eventually we just decided, hey, we need to scrap that, just cut that out completely. But he wanted to do guests. And he said, well, I've got a Rolodex. And I'm like, everybody who's doing this has that. Like, your Rolodex, while it's awesome, it's not better than Jericho's or JR's or Austin's. They all have the same. And so if you're a big get, are you going to go to Austin or are you going to go to Bruce Pritchard? Not disparaging my friend, just saying, realistically, he has the bigger audience, he has bigger following, blah, blah, blah. So, and the other thing that I convinced Bruce that was the wrong call is, we're going to get 52 interesting guests a week. I didn't like that idea. And the reason I didn't like that idea is because then I feel like you pick and choose. And I know people do that because I do that. Mm -hmm. So I love Jericho's podcast. I think he's probably the most talented of the wrestler podcast. I think he's the best, hands down. But there's some shows where I'm like, I don't care about Kiss. I'm not listening to that one. And that sucks. I get it. But I just won't listen to that one. But if he's got Jamie Noble on, I would. Isn't it interesting how, from a yeah. mainstream perspective, oh, it's someone from Kiss? Eh, it's Jamie Noble. Oh, i got to hear this. Yeah, but that's true. just what works for me. And so I know if I'm picking like that, then I think a lot of other listeners are. So my first advice would be, if you want to do a podcast, don't do guest format. Mm -hmm. And I know that's crazy, but that was the biggest challenge with Rick even. You know, Rick has a huge Rolodex, and everybody feels like they owe Rick a favor for something over the years but he felt like he was imposing on friendships to not only say will you do it but can you do it on tuesday at this time and so then it became like something where you didn't even really want to reach out to your friends you know a year in and so that's what happened with rick where sort of the, the luster started to come off i would think number one though have a big format uh you know an, a a completely different format i think the best new podcast concept is why it ended have y'all heard that yet I haven't, no. Uh, um, Robbie E. came up with the idea. You guys know him. Mm -hmm. And uh, he started it with Matt Kuhn, who used to do all of our audio stuff. And when Matt first pitched me on the, on the idea, I said, this is the best idea like in wrestling podcasts. So yeah. the concept is you take a guy who went from you know, wanting to be in the wrestling business to then all of a sudden he has an incredible run of luck. And then it ended. And why did it end? And so he's done it with Glacier, Muhammad Hassan, hmm. uh, Chris Harris, um, Buff Bagwell. So, so there's really, and he's keeping it to an, under an hour. The new thing that I've learned, and I'm sure you guys are in the loop on this, but maybe some of the people watching or listening aren't, is the new metric now for the way downloads are counted. I said, you need to have as short of a show as possible. Once upon a time, the game favored the longer shows like I'm doing. Now I think they, they, they favor the shorter show because you want to be able to download automatically without Wi-Fi. Yes. So if you subscribe and your file size is small enough that if you're subscribed, it counts, you're going to make more money. Um, so that was my advice to him. And that format now, I mean, he'll, he'll interview these guys for two or three hours and then chop it up, and it's 57 minutes when it's done, and it's phenomenal. I think it's the best new format because it is fresh. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about all the good stuff. We're talking about a little bit of that, 
and then what the hell went wrong and what they're doing now. So it ends on a positive note. You hear that they're doing okay and they came out the other side. But to really focus on that bad what happened and doing it that way, you lend yourself to more obscure top like Muhammad Hassan is a phenomenal podcast guest, but I don't know that anybody was really looking for it. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that to me is the best format. So that would be my second idea is to make sure that it can be downloaded uh, without Wi-Fi. And then the third one, I guess, is to figure out how the hell you're going to make money. Because I think there's a whole lot of people who I want to do a podcast and they just assume because you have a microphone and a Mac, Oh, well the money's rolling in and that's not the case. There's a lot of big shows that people have heard of that make no money. And that's just the cold fact of podcasting that we know. So my thing is don't rely on other people to go sell your brand. And I feel like that's the way a lot of these wrestler podcasts have happened. They think I create the content. I'm the performer. I'm the talent. Now somebody else go drag the money in with Bruce and Tony and and it will be Eric and I, we're the salesman. We're selling our stuff. We're selling the mortgages. We're selling the live events. We're selling the t-shirts. And and that is where the money comes from. But I think so many other you know podcasts sort of say, oh well, if you build it, they will come. And that may be true every now and again, but not when there's a thousand of them. Yeah, I, I would say that extends to broadcasting in general, not just podcasts. Absolutely. Yeah. The idea that you know uh, maybe it's it, in the past, perhaps it was sort of a star-driven you know format. Sure. It's it's, it's really more of an idea-driven format, and especially with podcasting. I agree. Yeah. I think as well that. The, what what we're finding is you know as media so much of it is is just constricting to me it's people are looking at podcasts where what me and Way can offer is that no we're not hitting a million people but of the people we have they're passionate I, I think it's a they care like what we're discussing That's and right. it's, and it's an engaged audience that you're having with podcasts that I think you're not going to get necessarily with you know if I'm doing an ad buy on Afternoon Drive what's I might be hitting. 10 times the people, but who is spending money on that? And that's, I, I think that people look at that too with, with podcasts. You're getting more of a of an, engage, of an engaged audience that has that connection to the hosts. Well, and yeah, I mean, I do a lot of radio advertising and, you know, not to get too way inside, but whenever I'm doing my advertising, the number one thing I can do is a live call-in island spot. So it would sound something like... Um, uh, hey, you're listening to 1029 The Buzz. This is your man Ziggs. Coming up, we got your chance to win Metallica tickets and an update on the Grateful Dead greatest album coming out. But first, let's check out with our man Conrad Thompson, Dana First Family Mortgage. Holy shit, I sound like real content now. I'm a part of the radio show. As opposed to, here's your mattress firm, here's your blue apron, here's the mortgage company. Here's I don't want to do that. I want to be in a stop set. I want to be inside it. And I think that's what podcasting can do. Is we Everything we do feels like an island spot. There's not like, oh, they're going to commercial. Let's press P2 on the radio and now we're gone. And um, I think that's what is unique for podcasting. And because it has no shelf life, you know, on the radio, the commercial is just sort of background noise a lot of the time. But with this, people are doing stuff and they're not really, you know, driving like, I'm done with that one. I just don't think that happens. There's not a button to get rid of it. Now, there is the, the fast forward 15 second thing. But to your point on the radio, oh, it's a commercial. I'm going to the other rock station I like. No big deal. This one's on commercial. I'm out of there. They're not bouncing, though, from... Oh, well, I don't want to hear this Jim Cornette commercial. I'm going to switch over and see what Jericho is talking about. It's just a different deal. When you hear about you know different television networks now experimenting with the idea of lowering commercial time, do you see kind of television moving in that same way of kind of more built-in advertising to the actual body of the programs? 
I think it's the smart thing to do. I mean, we've seen them do it in movies for years and years. Yep. I mean, even back in Wayne's World, what, 20 years ago, they were making fun of it, you know, with the big pizza box yeah, and the Mountain yeah. Dew or the Pepsi or whatever. It was it was fun stuff. But I do think you'll see more of that because I do think people are getting a little more savvy. And, you know, the way DVR has sort of changed all of our lives. You know, once upon a time, there was such a thing as appointment television. And now, with, that, I mean, with the exception of sports and news, I don't think that exists. Like when I'm buying media for my mortgage company, I only buy sports and news. Like if it's not live, I don't care. So like I don't watch The Voice, but I know a lot of people do. Well, The Voice is live, and so people want to know what's really going on. Okay, I'm going to buy that one. Because if it's live, people are going to watch live. But the other stuff, I'm going to watch later and fast forward the commercials. In your opinion, uh, how how would you assess like the WWE's, I, I guess, uh how have they embraced, I guess, new media? And, and, and do you see them, do you think they're behind or do you think they're ahead of the curve in, in some ways? When is this airing? A week from now. Yeah. I think they're embracing it now. You know, I, mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people um, ever imagined that Bruce and I would be doing something for the network. But, you know, <laughs> the... Gotcha. the um, I was stunned. The, the, it, it gets You get big enough that they can't uh, ignore, you know. And so they called us and said, hey, man, you're all anybody's talking about in the locker room and online and in the office. And what would this look like? So wow. the idea that they allowed a non-WWE produced product mm-hmm. where we had editorial control and we could curse and we could do silly impressions and we got to pick the topics and we just rambled on. And we also got to push our mortgage company and our live events and our t-shirts. It was something that I don't think a year ago, anybody would have ever imagined possible, mm-hmm. you know, and there's so many people when I look at the message boards just to get feedback about our show. And I know people think that I do that for vanity, but I take it as good feedback because that's the wrestling audience. So if they don't like something, I'm going to see if I can fix it. Now, some of it, you know, Oh, Conrad's fat. Well, shit, I can't help that. I don't, you know, whatever. But it's a podcast. It's a okay. po- who cares? Whatever. But but the other stuff of hey man, why do they have this type of music bed? Or why do we have? If there's little things like that that I can tweak, I miss the old wrestler themes. Well, that's going to be on next week. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to deviate from what you really like about the show. Well, anyway, on the message boards, there's so many people who were like, oh, Bruce is just kissing ass trying to get a job back and. You know, blah, blah, blah. None of that was reality. Like, if you really listen to the show, we were saying horrible, disparaging things about people who work there. And they were not always tickled with it. But it became something that was so big they couldn't necessarily ignore it. And Mm. now they're in. And I imagine that if this is successful, knock on wood, there will be more content like that. There will be more podcasts on the network, more mm-hmm. video like that on the network. Mm-hmm. And when they first launched that on-demand service, that Legends of the Roundtable thing was the best thing they did. Very much ahead of its, of Absolutely. its time. I think the, the whole on-demand thing, it just seems like it was it was just tabling a lot of ideas that were actualized with the network. And I, I agree. I thought the Roundtable was, was great. What, what do you think was the reversion during that gap? Because I thought... The Austin podcast, it was great content, relatively cheap for them when they're they're already set up at TV. Why do you think there was that that hesitancy where they had the gap up until this announcement? I don't know that that many people were watching it or were interested. You know, I feel like um, I feel like the number one driver, and I'm just freestyling here, but I think the number one driver for the network is is the current pay per views, not necessarily the old stuff. I think they're still trying to find a way to get people to pay attention to the old stuff, all that stuff that they've got there from 30, 40 years ago. And I think a show like Bruce's and I 
you know, have put together, it's all about the archives. It is about the old stuff. And so I'm, I'm positive they saw a movement in the downloads. So if we talked about the 1990 Survivor Series, all of a sudden in a random July, they're like, what the hell's going on? Why is everybody watching this? Because they see the stats on the back end of what people are consuming. Mm-hmm. And so when you start to see a trend, you, you realize, and this is a common you know phrase in, in the rest of the world, but not in wrestling, Bruce and I became sort of an accidental brand influencer. We were directing people, go watch this or go watch this. Even if we didn't mean to, it's not like we were doing the old Brazzers deal where we're saying, use promo code. You know, we weren't doing that. But people were still watching the network. And once I realized that that was happening, I was like, well, let's just double down on this. So we started to do a lot of shows like that for Tony Schiavone. And so I think one of the reasons that... Um, the WWE first originally maybe took notice was when we did the show with Tony Schiavone about Halloween Havoc 1998 randomly. It's not Halloween. And then they released that, hey, it was in the top five most watched shows this week. Well, it didn't take too much to figure out why would they be talking about that? It was the podcast. And so I think all of a sudden they started to really take a look and saw these guys are getting people interested in our older stuff. And they should be doing that anyway. Like you have all this great stuff. If Mean Gene introduced old clips of the WWF and if Tony Schiavone introduced old clips of Mid-Atlantic, I would be all about that. And there's so many lapsed fans I know who don't care about the current product. They're not John Cena fans or Nikki Bella fans or whatever, but they would really love to see anything about 1979. Well, they have the means to do that. Why not take a little time, throw up a camera? It's not costly to do, but I think it was just Vince thinking, ah, people don't care about that. I I think that at times they really underestimate that. I think if you are a raw viewer, you'd have no idea they dump WWE Saturday Night on You're the exactly network. Right. Thunder. It's like very easy at a break, stick a sponsor on it, and it's just it's a clip from 1992. And hey, you like this? We we've got a year's worth from 1992 up yeah. there. I don't think you would even know that watching programming that that was dumped on there. I agree, and but but I think the idea that you could go even further because fans are so passionate about it. Why not have like you know WCW Saturday Night 1992 in review? Oh, there's and you have a, a, a handful, like the Legends Roundtable yes. deal, except mm-hmm. just about those shows. Yes. And you have maybe a series, you know, maybe there's four parts about it. People will gravitate to that. Like, I mean, Bruce Pritchard's one of my very best friends, but I'm buying that RF video, Pat Patterson, Bruce Pritchard shoot interview where it's just those guys talking. And I've been around them talking, you know, for hours and hours and hours, but I'll never get tired of seeing them talk about the stuff I grew up on. And if RF Video can do it with a banner behind them and one Steadicam, WWE can do that. Are you Absolutely. kidding? I mean, it would be another level production-wise. And then you've got that access to one point whatever million. But instead, they're allowing their own talent to go and tell the story for someone else to profit. Yeah. For really how much money? I mean, those guys would have done it for you for free. And you could have invested whatever they were getting paid in production. And bam, you're there. So I'm hopeful that something else to wrestle with is going to be sort of the turning point where the network says, okay, maybe they want more of this. Are you allowed to talk about how the deal came together? Who, who reached whom? They called us. Um, and I'm sure they had some pestering on uh, some folks up there like, hey, you got you to gotta see this. You got to see this. And there were probably some folks who weren't all for it because it is sort of against the grain of what they normally do. Mm-hmm. And I imagine, I mean, I've only met him one time. I don't know this to be true, but I, I would imagine that Vince McMahon may have been like, a podcast video? What is a podcast? Like, I get that. Like, you know, like, Rick Flair had a great podcast, but if you asked him to show you on his phone where the podcast app is, he doesn't know. Like, well, I don't know. Uh, so I imagine there was some of that, but then I'm sure the data said, hey, they're driving 
these shows, we should take a look at this. So I think maybe one of the original ideas was, hey, let's create a podcast division. You you guys probably saw where they sent the survey out asking, would you like yeah. to see podcasts on the network? So I think that created a buzz where a lot of people thought, oh, there's about to be a big network of this. But I think now the pressure's on Bruce and I. Like, we have to prove this will work. And if it works, there will be more, I would guess. And, and if it doesn't work, then, you know, we're out of here in 13 weeks. Does it feel, we'll does it feel different doing video? Yes. Well, you know, Bruce and I are used to doing it on video with each other because we record by Skype. He's in Friendswood, Texas. I'm in Huntsville, Alabama. So we can see each other, and that's fine. Uh, But the idea that now, instead of me being sort of intensely focused on the notes and the audio, Mm -hmm. now I've got to be mindful of the camera, too. Like, that's a lot when you're not a broad... I'm a fan. I'm a mortgage guy. Like, and now I've got to read this and monitor that and look over here. That's... Man, that's a lot. So it's not it's not anything difficult for Bruce because at that point Bruce has already scrubbed the notes and knows I'm going to sort of tee him up if that makes sense. So he's just got to really respond. He doesn't have to say, "Okay, now we're going here," but that's on me. So now I've got to. I'm like a squirrel, but I'll figure it out. The first few shows will be rough, but uh, we'll we'll figure it out. Do you look at this as? Almost like a test for uh, the other shows you're doing, which would be natural segues sure. for network content. And and I also wanted to hear a bit about uh, the Eric Bischoff deal, which you're going to be launching very soon as well. Yeah, I mean, listen, if this works, I don't imagine you know that one of my other shows would be next. I mean, it feels like you know Jim Ross or Steve Austin or Chris Jericho or I mean any of those guys would probably be next, just because they all have such a great WWE relationship, as opposed to an Eric Bischoff or a Tony Schiavone. Not saying they're they're falling out of favor or anything like that, but obviously the relationship Jim has with the company is another level from a Tony Schiavone. Um, so yeah, I do think this is almost like the gateway. This will be the real first test. And as I said, you know, it might go 13 weeks and we're done and, or it could be like a real thing. And this, this time next year, there's like a whole podcast tab and there's a dozen shows on there. And it would be cool if one of them was 83 weeks, which is what we're calling the Eric Bischoff podcast. Uh, Bischoff first reached out to me and, um, I'm going to say the fall of 2016 and wanted to do a podcast like a WCW format. And we sort of kicked it around but I instead opted to go with Tony Schiavone because I felt like Eric had sort of already told his story. And Tony Schiavone had become this, like, what happened to him figure? You know, like, he just sort of dropped off. And I think a lot of fans had a perception of him that he was this bitter, anti-wrestling guy. And he just wanted it to be behind him. And I saw him at the NWA Legends Fan Fest and realized this is like the Bob Saget of wrestling. He's this foul-mouthed, hilarious dude. I just never imagined that that would be his personality in real life. So I thought, this guy was here from 83 to 01. That's almost as long as Bruce was in the WWF. Uh, and at the same time, he's got this personality nobody's ever heard. He hasn't done 19 shoot interviews. He hasn't written a book. He hasn't done a podcast. So maybe he hasn't been overexposed. So Tony Schiavone was the guy. But then as we start going with that Tony show, me thinking, this is going to just be the WCW version of something to wrestle. I realized, well, Tony wasn't as privy to a lot of this or just didn't care or whatever it was. So let's play to his strengths. So we created the watch along format. I mean, we didn't create it, but that's what we did for him. And we just got way silly and silly and silly. And so as silly as it is, that dumbass Tommy Young shirt is our number one seller for both stores. Like it's just way, way hotter than we imagined. And it was just freestyle and riffing one day. Um, but now I want to do that business side 
that high level WCW conversation and who better to do it with than Eric. But I had to wait until Eric's other podcast had sort of run its course. Uh, his old host, I think Nick Houseman, decided to sort of double down on WrestleZone and wanted to pull back from podcasting. And I think they were still trying to figure out, hey, how do we monetize this? And I think Eric thought, hey, this Conrad dude, whoever the fuck that is, he's figuring out how to make money in other ways. And uh, we started a dialogue, and I didn't think it would be a good show. And then we did a live show in New York, and it was fun. And I thought, okay, maybe maybe we have something here. So we started kicking around the idea of what would we call it. And there for a little while, I thought Tony was leaving. So when I thought Tony was going to just sort of retire from podcasting, I thought, well, this will be easy. I'll just, Tony's out, Bischoff's in. So I made the commitment that I'm going to do that. So when Tony's out, I'm, I'm going to do the show with Bischoff. And then Tony changed his mind, so now I have three podcasts. <laughs> so I've got to imagine you're kind of at your limit right now. I can't imagine doing a fourth one, but I would love to. Uh, and the dream person to do it with would be Paul Heyman or Jeff Jarrett to me. I think those are the two stories that we we could all do a lot with. To me, one of the the legendary figures out there that unfortunately he's not around anymore, to me is Zane Bresloff. Oh, yeah. There's the guy you would love to just hear five hours with. Absolutely. And, I agree. And someone that I think that guy would, without Dave Meltzer, I don't think anyone would know a name that would be forgotten in history that was yeah. kind of in the midst of WWF and WCW and was privy to all of the business, all Everything. of the numbers. I mean, just it, it would be fascinating. I agree. Uh, we don't want to keep you too too much longer, but recently you guys did a, a show, you and Bruce, on WrestleMania 19, which I find to be one of the more fascinating WrestleManias. I, I think it. I think you could argue, uh, for me, I, I think it was better than 17. I agree. And what I'm always so curious by, and after diving deep into this, did you come to any conclusions about that year? As you watch 1998, WrestleMania is at a level where you don't think it's going to fall below. And that year on pay-per-view, it dived. It, to me, it was one year where WrestleMania was not bulletproof on pay-per-view. What were some of your conclusions when you had so much star power on that show? It wasn't the hottest the company was, but, I mean, just any conclusions on that show and why it didn't reach the level of the year prior or the years in succession. I think McMahon maybe let the ego get in the way a little bit on that one. You know, Hogan McMahon was certainly promoted as the main event, and I think they had sort of... Um, uh, hot shotted the month before because they did a tremendous pay-per-view the month before, you know, numbers wise. And I think they sort of thought, well, we don't want to do that again. Let's switch gears to something else. And this is finally the Hulk Hogan, Vince McMahon standoff. And I don't think that people really gravitated to that the way that he may have thought. Now they had a tremendous match way better than I think anybody would have ever imagined, but I just don't believe there was enough focus and emphasis on rock and Austin, which was really probably the main event of the match, but it is a weird deal because I think, you know, we all as fans shouldn't say we all, a lot of us fans romanticize the Monday night wars. And I think in hindsight, what we were really romanticizing is freedom of choice, you know, in that, Hey, if we're watching a disco inferno match and for whatever reason that he's not our guy, we're going to switch over and we're going to say, oh, DX is here. We had something we could pivot to. Sort of like we talked about earlier with radio. There's P1 and P2. Oh, I don't, they're a commercial. I'm going here. Well, I think you lost some of that. And I think as a result, you lost a lot of fans. And Bischoff's had a theory for a long time that really there weren't as many wrestling fans watching as we think. The idea being if Nitro got, we'll call it a five, and Raw got a 4.5, there weren't 9.5 in fans. There was a lot of switchover that were getting double counted. And I think a lot of people maybe take that for granted, but I don't think the audience was ever really as big as a lot of people think. 
But I do think that freedom of choice made it to where it became a little bit of a task to get through. If there is a storyline or a match or an angle or a segment you're not into, instead of switching to wrestling, you just switch to something else. And when you switch to something else enough, eventually your interest dwindles. And I think that's what was going on at that WrestleMania. Because it was really the first time where they had had a whole year to build. There's nothing. So, like, as far as no competition. Because at WrestleMania 17, of course, WCW had just went out of business. But they're going to do the invasion angle. So, that sort of carries you over to 18. But when you look sort of year to year, WrestleMania to WrestleMania, 18 to 19, there was nothing there. There's no NWO. There's no WCW. There is no other company. And I think they suffered as a result. Because when you look at the card, it's the best card in history. I mean, just all the names that are on there. But I just think he needed competition not necessarily to make him better but to give the audience the opportunity to well this is better than this yeah it's it's funny because i feel all the pieces are there you just move some stuff around i think hogan and vince you did that the month before in montreal it'd be huge huge and to me one month later you could go with you could go with hogan rock the rematch which i think wrestlemania that's a stadium match and second is that you had kind of the two ships crossing in the night with Austin and Goldberg. If you knew ahead of time, this is Austin's last match. What a better send off than those two on that poster. I agree. I think that's a million buys. Tremendous. You know, and even if you didn't want to do that, I mean, even if you sw- you got all the players there still, because we know Goldberg debuted the next night. If you did Hulk Austin, which most people would say, well, why would you do that? They're both leaving. Well, what'd you do with Brock and Goldberg at 20? Like they're both leaving. What does it matter? But if, you, if that's the direction you were going to go, then you could do Rock and Goldberg there. Right. Uh, but the, that combination of four, I agree with you. If you reshuffle that and you push Hogan and, and McMahon of the month before, it does tremendous business. Or maybe even the month after. Because what was the main event the next month? That was the Rock-Goldberg match. Why wouldn't you want to also have on there Hogan and McMahon? You could have done it a month later. Is yep. what I'm saying. So a month before or a month later, and it would have been the same. Well, we're going to wind things down. And Conrad, you've been a very generous with your time. Absolutely. Thanks uh, for coming. You are the busiest man out there <laughs> in podcasting. And as we have learned on this show, even busier as uh, as things. And congratulations on, mm. on all the success you've been having. Absolutely, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, so be sure to go check out Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, with Tony Schiavone, and Eric Bischoff will be uh, 83 weeks. When will that be uh, premiering? Later this month. It's going to debut in April. We haven't committed to a date yet because we're still trying to uh, iron some things out. But we are. We, we did a poll. We know exactly what we're going to be covering. So um, we have a direction now, which is good. All right. On behalf of Conrad Thompson, Wei Ting, I am John Pollock, and thanks for tuning in for this month's edition of the Post Wrestling Roundtable.